Dear Diary, today I interviewed David Raymond, the original Philly fanatic. He's been in the mascotting business for over 40 years. He's the emperor of fun and games for Raymond Entertainment. Take a listen. How long have you been a mascot or how long have you been in the mascotting business? Well, I've been, you know, I've been in and out of it uh, for, well, I haven't been in and out of it. I've been in it for 40 years. And I, and I know that because next April, the 25th will be the 40th anniversary of the fanatic. And uh, so I, I started my, I started my little mascot experiment in 1978 and it's still going today. And how did, how did this career get started for you? Well, my, my, the beginning in, in, there was no plan. Let's put it that way. I just uh, was, I was an athlete. My father was a football coach uh, for the university of Delaware for uh, gosh, 50 since 1954. He'd been coaching at Delaware and he was the head coach there for 36 years. And I grew up with that as my background. So I was, um, I was always playing baseball, football, and basketball. I ended up in high school uh, lettering in, in baseball and football. And my only goal was to go to the University of Delaware and play football for my father. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about an education. I didn't, um, I wasn't a bad student, but it was all about just going. And my dream was to play football for my father, uh, which I did in the early 70s. And I also wanted to be a football coach. And my dad kept telling me, you know, you're looking at me as, as being a football coach at one institution. That is so rare it's like a unicorn, you know, n- nobody gets an opportunity in coaching to be that way anymore. So you need to know what you're getting into. You're going to you know, move your family around, uh, you'll get fired. And, and he goes, you'll get fired at least twice. One time that they fire you, it won't be your fault. And one time it will be your fault. And that's a minimum. So you'll be moving your, your family around till hopefully you'll be lucky enough to find the right job. And he suggested at the time for me to get a part-time job with the Phillies as an intern in the summer because he knew the owners of the Phillies. So reluctantly, I gave up my job as a lifeguard, and I started with the Phillies in 1976. I worked two summers for them, and in 1978, they actually called me at my fraternity house at the University of Delaware and asked me if I would stay for all the games which of course I said, sure. You know, and they said, we'll pay you 25 extra dollars. You, you'll still have your $5 an hour job as an intern, uh, but we want you back to work the games. And I said, well, what am I doing? And they said, well, you know, we're, we're, we're blah, 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 blah. Well, I didn't hear them. I, I just said, okay. And they said, you need to go to New York and get fitted for this costume. Uh, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I had no clue what they were asking me to do. I had no clue what I was saying yes to. I just was glad, excuse me, I was glad that I had a, I had a job. So I went to New York, I got fitted for the costume, I saw the drawing, I couldn't believe it was going to actually look like that. And, uh, and that's how my, my experience with the Philly started and how the fanatic was born. Uh, so April 25th of 1978 was the start. And I had little or no direction. My boss just told me to go have fun, which at the end of the day has been my driving force. And and my theory about how powerful fun is all started with the Phillies in 1978. And I'm just excited to have you on the show. And I really just I'm curious about about this next question, because at the end of every episode, I've I've always asked, like, well, who inspired you? You know, and you're usually the one that they that they mention. And you, you have the record for most shout outs on on the show. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm curious who inspired you and 
how did you figure out how to become successful when you were one of the first ones, you know? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Denise. And it's one that, that I have a, a handful of answers to I, Certainly my father inspired me and, and what he inspired me was different than the millennials. It was, you know, go, go do hard work, do good, hard work, keep your head down. Don't bother anybody. And, and somebody will, will discover you that way. So I, so that was basically, you know, work hard, be loyal. You know, he used to say, dance with the one who brought you. So that's why I stayed with the Phillies for 17 years. I've, I've worked at my business for another 25 years. Uh, so it was, um, that, that was a great lesson. So he inspired me to do hard work and to be loyal. But in terms of performance, I had to search for inspirations because I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, what inspired my performance initially in costume was dancing. I love to dance. Uh, it was just on the edge of the disco era, which really dates me. But that was the beginning of a time when you would go to clubs and all you would do would be would dance. And the music was great and you danced. And I was really into that. So I leveraged that into performing. And as the fanatic, I just had him dance. I had him dance to all the popular music. I had him dancing to all of the, the popular dances. And that really had a positive effect, not only on the fans, but the players. And then the characters that inspired me were Daffy Duck, Foghorn Leghorn, The Three Stooges, uh, silent movie stars uh, like Charlie Chaplin, because um, I, when I started to figure out I needed to do nonverbal work, what were the characters that I loved that made me laugh? And all of those characters were a mishmash that I pulled from to be the fanatic. So when when music was playing, the fanatic danced. Um, and, and I actually wrote a, a blog just recently that I posted on LinkedIn that were the three things that the fanatic taught me about being happy today. And one of them was close the door, put on the music that moves you and dance like nobody's watching. And that's really what my inspiration was for the fanatic was no one was watching me. They were watching the fanatic. So I could dance like an absolute crazy person and it would be interpreted as funny and entertaining. Where if that was me dancing like Elaine in Seinfeld, people would have laughed me off the floor. So those are the things that inspired me. It was, you know, hard work and, and, and doing the work and being loyal to the Phillies. And then the inspiration for movement was all the slapstick and, and cartoon characters that I loved. And oh, man, the one thing that I, that I feel like I, I just have to touch on because it's a mystery and we've debated it several times on the show. Like what was the reasoning behind the mascot not speaking? Well, I think, you know, I, I think it's almost like that unwritten rule that seemed to be, and, and I'll make this analogy, when Bob Wolf became the gorilla in the NBA, his great skill set was gymnastics. So the gorilla was doing all of these gymnastics. So what you see in the NBA today is everybody deciding, oh, if you're in the NBA as a character, you need to do all of these dunks and flips and all this gymnastic style physicality. And so people follow what they see in terms of not speaking. It just seemed to be like characters in mascot costumes or in costumes were nonverbal. So what I did though, was I made all kinds of noises. So the fanatic made kissing noises and, and noises of excitement or, or whistling. I did a lot of that because I, I was comfortable doing that. And when I left the Phillies and I started a character called sport, I created his voice and I talked so I think it was just like an unwritten rule and people were more comfortable 
Uh, from a business standpoint, it was harder to replace a performer who had created a voice. So if you look at all of the Kermit the Frogs, there are variations, but it sounds like Kermit. So you can always teach a performer how to come up you know, and, and imitate a voice. But I think those are the two reasons why. Well, from a business perspective, it was harder to replace a performer who had a voice. And it just seemed to be the most comfortable way to do it. So I've done both and I love both. But the fanatic was just nonverbal because we didn't really think about him talking. We just thought it because people all the way in the upper deck couldn't hear what you were saying. So it was just easier to perform to a larger crowd without having uh, a verbal component. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and when we talked a little bit before the interview, you had mentioned life lessons. And I, I don't know, it kind of clicked because I struggled when when people would ask, like, what's this podcast about? And and I was like, well, I, I, I interview mascots and they tell me stories. But when we were talking, you mentioned life lessons. And I was like, well, yeah, like the people that I'm talking to are you know, sharing their life lessons, like from their mascotting career. So I was hoping you should, you could share some more life lessons and more on the power of fun. <laughs> yeah. The, and, and I appreciate the question. And, and certainly you've had Dan Mears on before and, and I'm very good friends with Dan. So we've talked about this and what happened for me was be, my dad's advice was to keep your head down, work hard. So when I got the job and it started to become successful, my biggest fear was they're going to realize that I'm just acting silly and they're paying me what amounted to starting to be a lot of money to be silly. And I was frightened that somebody in a boardroom somewhere would be saying, Hey, we're, we're paying that guy a lot of money to be stupid. Can't, can't we find somebody that can do stupid for less? And that was a fear of mine. So I did, I wasn't looking for life lessons. I was just saying, gosh, what am I going to do to the Met fans hat? How many ways can I destroy that hat? You know, this opposing player, what type of jokes or gags can I work on him? What type of props, wardrobe, music? So I was just going, trying to be as silly as I could so nobody could replace me. I mean, that was my driving force. But like, you know, I'm, I'll be 62 in February. So as we get older, we start realizing that life can be brutal at times. And we are all going to be faced with life challenges that are very difficult. So, um, I had um, my mother died of cancer at age 59 while I was a fanatic. A number of weeks later, my marriage dissolved and I had a two-year-old son and a marriage that was falling apart. And just recently, just a few weeks ago, my father passed away. So when life challenges hit you and you're in a business where you're supposed to make people happy and, and that was your job, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I can't do this. When I was going through the death of my mother and my marriage falling apart, I'm going, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I got to get in the costume tomorrow. And what I found was, and this is when I started to realize how important something that I had that the fanatic was trying to teach me. When I got in the costume during those days, I completely forgot about all of my problems. I became the fanatic and the fanatic's job was to deliver random acts of kindness. That's what we all do as mascots. We're basically delivering random acts of kindness every time we're out. And when I talk to my kids in class about in my mascot boot camp, I go, hey, you better realize how important your job is. Because performers, sometimes we get put into like this pocket protected nerd situation where, hey, you're just the mascot performer. You go over there in the corner and be quiet. You know, we have a feeling like we're not important. Well, I learned from that day on that the fanatic was telling me about the power of fun, which is you have to believe that fun is vital to your success 
even doing during the worst times of your life, you need to look at, well, how can I have some, a distracting moment of fun? And that's all the, that's what the power of fun is. The secret is recognize the force that you have right at your fingertips. And that is to deliver some distracting fun, either to yourself or to somebody else. And you will feel better in that moment. And it helps you get through life's challenges. So anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you're a performer and you're starting to think about what am I doing with my life, start to realize how important the things you are. When you get in that costume, kids yell out your name, hug you, want to take pictures with you. You go to a hospital and you see parents that are struggling because their kids aren't doing well physically or mentally, and you go in and distract them. Nothing could be more powerful in the entire world than that. So, you know, you, you'll get me up on a soapbox real quick. And, and that's what the, and so over the years of my performance, I've started to realize that not only does it have something for other people, this experience has taught me how to, how to take over life's challenges and get through them gracefully and get them through with power and become a better person when you come outside that. And that's, that's what I love about mascot performance. It's taught me so many great things about how to deal with life and it can teach you and your listeners and other people out there that are working in our industry. Oh yeah. I definitely, I have this hashtag mascots make life better. And it's for that reason, because whether it's a mascot, I mean, obviously mascots are, are easier. You see a mascot and you just you light up, you smile. I, I think it's impossible like, <laughs> to not smile when you see a mascot, yeah, it's, but it's also those, those little things like just person to person, just like smiling that can change someone's mood. So you just got to try and be positive everywhere you go. So I appreciate well, that. I really love, I love, I love that hashtag. You know, <laughs> I, I use the hashtag, the power of fun, and I'm going to start using the hashtag that mascots make life better. I, that that's what, you know, because I've been through the start of a brand new character that no one, you know, thought would be successful all the way through to every day. We're working with a company that either wants a new mascot or, or a character branding program or needs help with one that they have. And the first thing I do when I come in is I make sure the people who are operating that program know how important it is, uh, the work they're doing. And you find them going, wow, no one's ever really told me that before. So, so that's, you know, that's what I preach. I preach we're doing extraordinarily important work uh, because nothing could be more important than making people happy because at the core of that, it's a, it's a solution to almost any problem. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're sick, you know, you've got to take medicine. If you're working at a job, you've got to do the things you need to do that your job requires. But if you can add fun to both of those times, it makes it so much more effective. So I'm not telling everybody, hey, just quit your job and go have fun. I'm saying recognize that fun is a serious component to being successful. Oh, yes, definitely. And can you talk a little bit about the transition from when you retired as a Philly fanatic to, to the other things, I mean, what kept you going in the mascotting world as well? Well, I had, you know, when I, like everybody else, whether you're an athlete or whether you're a mascot performer, your longevity in terms of doing that work is, is lower than, than your working time on this world. So at age 45 to 50, as a mascot performer, you realize, Hey, I can't do this much longer. Uh, successfully and at the level I want to, but I've got so many more years of, of working as a, as a working person in business or wherever we choose. So when I was starting to see that, you know, I had this, this moment in time when, when I would not be able to 
do the work that I wanted to do at the level, I started looking for other opportunities and I realized I could get into the business world. So when I left the Phillies, I was still a performer for the next seven, eight, nine years, but I, but I had built a business model where I could sustain a business outside of my performance. So I had partners uh, for a while with Acme mascots and they were, uh, they were with the people who made and designed the fanatic. And then I created Raymond entertainment uh, shortly there, you know, after about eight years of that work. And in 2000, I started Raymond entertainment. And then I transitioned out of performing uh, in 2001, 2002 was my final year. So I was a performer from 78 to 2002 and I had performed at every every sporting event you can imagine. So hockey, baseball, basketball, soccer, football, um, in, in all 50 States. So, you know, I had all that great experience and then I was done as performer. I had a, a good friend of mine who was a great performer who took over for me, Chris Bruce, um, who was one of my first hires. And, and then we, we went about the business of doing mascots, right? That was our whole goal was let, let's teach people how to create programs that are really effective. Um, so that was my transition. I wanted to, I didn't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur. I just had an opportunity and decided if I'm going to take a pay cut and I won't perform anymore, I would like to design what that would look like as opposed to staying with the Phillies and have them tell me where I was going to go. And I still have a great relationship with the Phillies. So it wasn't a bad departure. It just was, I'd rather do it on my own than have somebody else be in control. Yeah, definitely. And I always have to ask, I don't know, I kind of feel I know your answer, but I just like to ask, do you have any regrets? Well, I, I can't say that I have regrets per se. I The, the biggest thing that I, and I, I assumed I would miss this, I, you know, I miss the, you know, the support of a fan base that's passionate about you as a character. So the character you're playing, um, once I left the Phillies, I had some very successful characters that that I worked in for both the Acme mascots and Raymond entertainment. Um, but I, but I lost what I lost was that, that, you know, tremendous passion and support from a fan base. So my only regret is that I, that there wasn't some way I could hang on to that. Now, now the Phillies fans still are very kind to me, you know, uh, and I do a lot of public speaking. So, uh, you know, I get some of that support and people are always coming up to me and telling me some story about how, when they were kids, the fanatic really made them into baseball fans or did something nice for them or their family. And I'm hearing that constantly. So I haven't lost touch with that, but that's about the only, if you want to put it in a regret form, but becoming an entrepreneur, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but you know, I learned so much more about business and and in life, I wish we could never do this, but I wish I could go back and start brand new as the fanatic uh, as the first fanatic performer in 1978, knowing all what I know about character development, because it would have been, it would have been amazing that type of work. So I, I feel, I feel bad that I had to scratch and dig and learn on my own. And then, you know, I could have made such a, it's hard to think that the fanatic would be much better than he is now, but I look at all my knowledge that I have now, it could have been so much better. And I could have learned things and appreciated things that I didn't then. So, but that, you know, we have those regrets in life. Like, I wish I knew what I know now back then. So that's the only thing. I mean, I, I've lived a, a great life. I've had such amazing opportunities. I've taken advantage of some of those. And uh, the most important thing in my life is my family uh, and my marriage, my children. I have four children and, and uh, my relationship with my 
with my wife of 22 years has been amazing. So I, everything that I do now is really for them. And, and to have grown up and being a character and understanding how that positively affects kids has, has made me a much better father. I feel like there's there's a lot of positive and obviously, yeah, that if you had known then what you know now, I think everyone thinks I think that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What would you say is the the biggest challenge that that you overcame in, in your career? I You know, it, it, it's it's I don't want to upset anybody. I, I don't even feel like I had, you know, enormous challenges. I, I, I think my biggest. I, so to answer the question as honestly as I could, my biggest challenge was leaving the Phillies and building a business with with really no understanding of how to do that. And I overcame that because I made mistakes and I realized when I make mistakes I lose money and I and I lose uh, potentially my uh, security. So I learned really quickly after making some mistakes that that translated into losing money that said, "Hey, I I better pay attention. I can't make those mistakes with business." Um because I left a very secure environment where I was getting paid a salary that had benefits and all of those things go away when you become an entrepreneur and they're up to you to take care of yourself. Um, so I think that was my biggest challenge. But even with that said, it was so much fun. You know, even when you made a mistake and you learned that lesson, it was so much fun to create and to make decisions on your own and not have to be, have layered, you know, layered supervisors on top of you that said, no, I think that could have saved me some money, but I never would have learned the way I learned. So, so that was my biggest challenge, but gosh, my work with the Phillies was, it was just a beautiful, uh, the perfect storm of the right people coming together that, that believed that having fun was so important to ultimate success. And that if you made a mistake, no big deal. Um, you know, we'll just learn from it. I mean, uh, the Phillies environment was, was just wonderful. They continue to be that type of organization uh, so I was blessed to be lucky enough to fall into that type of leadership that actually helped me overcome the business challenges I had because they taught me to, hey, have making a mistake is part of the process. So, so I really, I just, you know, other than my, the life challenges I described, and then frankly, those were overcome by learning what I was doing was important to that, to solving those issues. So, you know, I, I've been very blessed. And 40 years is, is such a long time and you had to see things like change over the years. So what would you say is the biggest difference you've seen between mascotting then and now? Well, I think the, the, the huge difference was there was no process when we started. Um, my direction only was to have fun. And then my first editing was make sure it's G-rated fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so suddenly, hey, go have fun. Oh, wait, by the way, it's G-rated fun. Uh, which is good to tell a college student at that point, you know, don't. Uh, so fortunately, I didn't make any of those mistakes. So we didn't really have a process. There was no plan. It was go have fun. Let's see how it works. We'll edit from there. Fast forward to today, when I sit down with clients, it's all about planning. Um, it's all about storytelling. It's all about uh, making sure you do four or five m most important things, which are one, to value to value what you're doing as a mascot, you know, we're building and one of your strongest assets your marketing department will ever have. So value it Two, make sure you write a great story. That's authentic, that people will live and believe in because you've written it at, with authenticity that Disney taught that. And then three, make sure you do it with professionalism. So the costume looks good. It smells good. 
um, it's taken care of, you treat it like it's valuable, and then your performance needs to be at the highest level. So you need talented, trained people to be your performers. So the big difference is from no planning and just throw it out there and we'll see to it's all about planning now. Oh, yeah. I mean, planning is one thing that a lot of people mention that just the the scheduling and everything that went that goes into the mascotting, like the costume and the appearances. And do you have a favorite event or maybe a favorite story that comes to mind? Oh my gosh, <laughs> how much time you have, but I, I know, I'll I tell you the go, the go, the go-to one, because it was in my earlier days, which was really a, a mixture of, of nostalgia and fun was when the Phillies won the world series in 1980 and we were going to have the parade I went to the staging area in the parade, which was at JFK Boulevard in Philadelphia, which is a main thoroughfare. And when I got there, Mr. Giles, my boss, um, or my boss's boss, said, okay, David, we're going to put you and the Fanatic up front. There were all these flatbeds. They probably had eight flatbeds. And on the, on the, one, on the couple of main flatbeds were going to be all the Phillies players and their wives and their kids and the trophy. And he was going to put me up there. And I said, oh, Mr. Jaws, I can't go up there. He goes, why? You know, you deserve to be there. I said, oh, the costume stinks. <laughs> we hadn't cleaned it and I'd been doing all the work and it just smelled terrible. And I go, well, I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable on that flatbed. They're, I mean, you know, it was close quarters. And, and I said, can't you put me on a flatbed by myself in the back end of the parade? And he said, well, we have a couple of, uh, it's, it's funny that you mention it. We, you know, production is all about backup. So they had a flatbed just in case another flatbed broke down. So they put me on that flatbed. So my view, it was the most spectacular view because as we're going down JFK and then making a right to go down Broad Street and we were going to end up at a big celebration at the at a, a big football stadium uh, that was no longer there. It's a park now, but it was a 100,000 seat stadium. So we were all going to the parade was going to end there and all the people were going to file there and they were going to have a big, you know, a couple of speeches. Well, I'm looking at the parade, the, the wake of the people, just thousands and, uh, you know, over um, hundreds of thousands of people that were the wake of this parade. So as they were falling in behind the parade to follow all the way to, to the stadium, I kept seeing faces of people. And there was one instance that I'll never forget. There was a, a father who had his son on his shoulders and they were getting jostled around. And I, as I'm watching them, you know, there's a smile on the kid's face, a smile on the dad's face. And as they're getting closer to the back of the, of the flatbed where I was, this guy had something in his hand, like he was giving it to me. And I, and I was noticing him, but I, you know, I, I wasn't going to the end of the flatbed yet. And then I noticed his kid started to panic and his kid was crying because they were in the midst of all these people and he was frightened. So I ran and grabbed whatever the guy was trying to give to me. And then as I grabbed it from him, I could see him, him just kind of get swallowed up on the crowd as he let, as he stopped trying to get close to the flatbed. And then I saw his kid, you know, laughing again. And I grabbed what he gave me and I looked at it. It was a Pennsylvania driver's license. It was his, and his name happened to be David Raymond as well. <laughs> And all he wanted to do was show me his license to show me that his name was David Raymond. Meanwhile, I've got his license and he's gone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's swallowed up by the crowd. His kid was scared to death. Well, now his kid was calmed down, but I had his license. So I, I, I just always remember that that was just something passionate 
about that moment. And I gave the license to one of the police officers and they said, oh, we'll get it back to him. But it was just that whole day was just amazing. And it was something I'll never forget. And that one little moment kind of is a snapshot of Phillies fans and how passionate they are and that they just want to be connected. They, they want to be a part of it. And so it was this guy's part of it was just to say, Hey, my name's David Raymond too. <laughs> so It was really funny. That's awesome. <laughs> and just speaking of kids before I go on to that, the one thing that I wanted to talk about and we kind of end off, I just, I always ask when, when you first got into this costume and I mean, you didn't know how people were going to react and everything, but how did you deal or how did you, I don't know, even like make, start making notes on how to deal with the unsupervised children, the drunk adults, maybe the crazy ladies? <laughs> well, I have a the unique perspective was that I wasn't expecting any of that. That wasn't even in my, you know, my wildest dreams of, of something I'd have to deal with. So I kind of learned on the fly. So what I did, what I realized, it's funny that there's actually been research done where mascots can, are very effective communicating to adults and changing their behavior by shaming. So the, sh the shaming model was the one that worked the best. So two things happened with a screaming bratty kid who's kicking or punching or doing something that the rest of the audience can see is, oh my gosh, there's a kid going nuts again. So my go-to was to, to, you know, grab the kid and hug him. And then while I was hugging him, I'm looking at everybody else. Like I'm, I'm pounding my fist, not, not like physically against the kid's head, but like, you know, like this kid needs a what for, you know, and then everyone would go, yeah, yeah, you're right, fanatic. And then I would give them back to the parents and, and the parents would, you know, take the child off. And, and so that demonstrated that, you know, the fanatic was loving and caring, but, you know, meanwhile, we all know as parents, this kid needs some discipline. So I would always do that and that would work. But the best thing with a parent, with a drunk adult, when they would scream at you, say, get out of my way, you big fat green thing, or they might use expletive deleted. I would always act like the fanatic was crying. Then the entire audience would come to your defense. Hey, you big bully, leave him alone. Don't make our fanatic cry. So those were the two go-to things that always worked because what you do is you get the power of the crowd to support you. So every time you got physically aggressive with somebody who was drinking, that just gives them more opportunity to get more aggressive with you. So I would always act like they hurt my feelings. And it would work with adults and kids. So so that I learned that just on the fly because I, I would whenever I tried to get more aggressive uh, to try to, you know, be funny, it, it, it escalated. And it also taught me how important, you know, your spotters were, your spotters would get in. We, we physically looked for a small female to be the spotter as opposed to a big burly policeman, because the big burly policeman actually could escalate things again with drunk adults. But if you had a, an attractive person um, and in our case, uh, you know, women, who were were smaller in stature and they said they would go hey hey it's okay everything's fine they would have much more power than a a, a big arnold schwarzenegger looking police officer they would diffuse more situations just because of them uh, being small diminutive and soft with their dealing with any situation so we learned those things over time and i teach them today that sometimes the best spotter to have is a physical person a human being male or female that's smaller, quieter, 
and and not aggressive. Uh, it always seems to diffuse situations much faster that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I work with students with special needs. And so there's parent involvement. And sometimes there's lawyers involved because, you know, you have these meetings for their children. And it's usually like the calm person in the room, like the smaller, soft, quiet one that's diffusing the situation if things start to escalate in a meeting. So no, I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. And I th- I think that the, the big issue is one of the toughest things my parents would could ever say to me to, to get me upset is that we're disappointed in you. When you say that in a very calm way with somebody that you respect, that hurts more than anything and gets your attention to say, oh, well, you know, that's not what I want, you know, as opposed to we're really mad at you. Um, You're going to be punished. You know, those don't work as well. You know, you know, this is really, I guess, I love it when somebody says, one, that they're disappointed to you or, oh, that's really unfortunate. (laughs) You know, if you if you tell somebody something and they respond, oh, that's really unfortunate. That's like, uh-oh, what does that mean? And, you know, I'm very disappointed that we haven't been able to come to this agreement. And and it's um, it's an unfortunate situation. Those words are really powerful, especially when they're delivered calmly. So in the same thing with, with when you're working as a, co- as a character costume, when your spotter is calm and uses that type of language, it, it really helps to diffuse as, as opposed to escalate. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Those are, are very powerful words. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one thing that I, I wanted to touch on um, before we close is I'm really excited about the Mascot Hall of Fame. And I mean, I tell people about this. And if you're not familiar with the mascotting world, you're like, what? There's a Mascot Hall of Fame <laughs> and there's going to be like a, a building and a museum. And so if you could give us a little preview of that and how you became involved in that, like I, I would love to hear uh, about this. Mascot yeah. Hall of Fame being built. Well, I again appreciate appreciate our opportunity to talk about it because it's something I'm exceptionally passionate about, and I really look at it as being a legacy piece, and that's what I'm most excited about. It's my relationship with the city of Whiting, Indiana, which is about 30 miles southeast of Chicago. It's a great little town. It's the quintessential small town America, part of the industrial revolution of our country. It's where uh, John Rockefeller started Standard Oil, and it. But it's a beautiful little town. It's not. It's not a dirty refinery town. This is a beautiful little main street, and it's their vision that brought them to me. That and they deserve all the credit for building this place. So I want to give them first props. It's going to be the Disney of mascots. It's the best way to explain it. We're using. Disney-esque theming. Jack Roush and Associates is our exhibit builder. They're the ones that created the ideas, and we are going to be teaching STEM and STEAM principles to elementary school with the backdrop of Mascot University. So you walk in, you go to an orientation theater for about a five-minute presentation, and the hosts are both Reggie, the, the Mascot Hall of Fame spokes character is Reggie, and then there'll be a another character we're creating. And the two of them will be trying to explain to the audience why mascots are important, just like you and I did. And they'll get frustrated that they can't do it appropriately. So they're going to say, you know what, everybody, you got to graduate from Mascot University. So when you leave the orientation theater, you're going to go to the Department of the, uh, of the Furry Arts. You're going to go to Mascot Studies. You're going to go to the, the Furatorium. You're going to go to Physical Education. And each place you're going to you'll get uh, your little passport stamped. You turn that passport in at the end of the day, you're going to get a diploma for Mascot University. And it's all going to be about why mascots are great and why they're powerful, what makes them tick. And we're going to talk about cleaning mascot costumes and the, and the bacteria that you've got. To, so there'll be science, there'll be weights and measures, and there'll be 
the history of mascots, but it's all going to be interactive. It's all going to be fun. It's not going to be reverent. There's not going to be a hall with mascot bust. The, the actual uh, characters that have been inducted will have inflated representations of their mascot heads hanging from mobiles because it's a three-story atrium. So those will, that's the, that's the hall of fame are the characters with the inflated heads being hung from mobiles. Um, and it's, it is going to be the Disney mascots. Uh, we're, we're looking to open up <clears throat> fall of, of 2018. So we've just gotten word that the JRA is soon to come into the building. The building is 90% completed. If anybody wants information, they just go to mascothalloffame.com and you'll see the latest photos, but you'll also, there'll be a pop-up window that asks to give us your email. So we encourage everybody to do that. And I'll be open and upfront. The two things are going to happen when you give us your email. One, we're going to give you updates. So you'll get relatively regular emails telling all about what's happening. And you'll be given an opportunity to give to help support the Mascot Hall of Fame because it's a nonprofit. Um, so uh, fundraising is really important to us. So if, and, the, and any amount that, that, that you can give would be respected. So uh, we're, not at, we're not asking for those donations yet. What we're asking for is your email so that we can stay connected with you. So when we're ready to give you levels of giving, you can become a member. Um, you can become a lifetime voting member. There are going to be a lot of opportunities to so stay tuned for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I signed up for that. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, I'll double check. Well, if you gave us your email, you'll be you're, you're in there, Denise. So don't worry. No, yeah, I think it's just I might have given my email that I that I don't check a lot. There's the one where, you know, you get all the coupons with and then there's the other one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my Gmail account. Right. I got to look through and double check. Right. <laughs> Cool. But thank you for that information. And I will include all of the links in, in the show notes. And I, I just had one more question about the process of being inducted into the Mascot Hall of Fame. How does how does one get inducted? And that's great. And all of that would be online as well at mascothalloffame.com. But but simply put, there is a three there's a three stage voting process. Uh, and the first thing that you do, if you want to be considered there's an application that you would fill out. So any mascot who has been around for five years or longer, that's the first criteria, uh, can apply. And then we'll review it through our executive committee. And then that executive committee builds a ballot. And then that ballot goes out to vote. <clears throat> our focus is obviously a mascot has been around for five years or longer. But through the application process, you need to demonstrate how strong of a connection you have with your community and how much they value you. So you can do that through affidavits from political figures or from leadership or from companies or just from fans. And then we also want to know that your performance is groundbreaking. So uh, uh, the Penn State Nittany Lion is one of the new newly inducted characters, and they gave us overwhelming information about how much the fans at Penn State value him, students, faculty, community, but also his performance, you know, I'll be frank, the costume that they wear, we get some criticism about that because his costume is not groundbreaking, but the performance and their ability to control that crowd is phenomenal. So they show, if you see a video clip of the lion coming out to lead the We Are Penn State cheer before football games, it is just awe-inspiring and will give you goosebumps. So when he applied, they they gave us all of that information. So it's not to say that a minor league mascot couldn't be inducted. You just want to show that your your performance is great and that you've got great support. Then when that ballot comes out, 
we've identified four or six characters. It goes to a public vote first, which anybody can go vote, and it's and you can't vote multiple times. Then there's the lifetime voting membership, which is now about we have about 1,500 people, but we want to grow that to like 10,000 people. Um, so that if you're a lifetime voter member, you can both vote as a popular vote and you can vote as a lifetime voting member. Those two voting blocks together represent 50% of the weight to be inducted. Then the, the larger percentage is made up of our executive committee members and associates who are all people that are both full-time mascot performers or they're in the sports business or they're in the business community that understands great marketing or their executives inside of the sports business. So that is also a growing body. And so once we go through those two voting blocks, that's 50%, and then 50% of the weight goes with the executive committee votes. So those are people who really understand the value. And then you tally those votes up. And if uh, out of the number of people on the ballot, the characters that respond the best in that voting will be inducted the following year. That's a lot of work. That sounds like a, a lot of that goes into it. Oh my goodness. But I, yeah, I was reading the process. I wanted you to, to, to talk about it, but I did read the process and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot, especially the, the influential part, like in your community and getting all that evidence and stuff. Yeah. So, and that, and, and we, we, <laughs> I'll have to, you know, we've received just a ton, not a lot, but some criticism about Tommy Hawk and Benny Bull being Chicago characters. Well, we, we we want all of the Chicago characters to be involved in the hall. It makes sense for your local community to, to support you the most. And that's just the dynamics of, of any museum or hall of fame. But both of those characters gave incredible applications and Benny the bull, no one can argue just like they wouldn't argue for the fanatic or for the Phoenix gorilla or the San Diego chicken to have been included in the original ballot. And they were inducted. All three of those characters were inducted because they make sense. Well, Benny the bull for sure and Tommy Hawk, throughout the course of their success on the ice, he's just done amazing things in this community. So I want everybody to be assured that when, when we select a character to be inducted, they had to go through that process. You know, we didn't say, ah, you know what, we're going to induct Benny the Bull because he deserves it and he's right across the, you know, the lake from us. They went through that process and they were voted in like everybody else. It sounds like you take the process very seriously. And those characters are great. I mean, I've seen, I got to see Tommy Hawk in person. I'm a Kings fan, so <laughs> there's a little bit of arrival oh, oh, oh. there. <laughs> but at, uh, at the NHL All-Star game last year, I was very impressed. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, he was, he was one of my favorites, Tommy Hawk. It was awesome to see his skits. I was just laughing while he was walking around the, the concourse. He was, always up to something so yeah definitely great mascots <laughs> well bailey's bailey's not shabby uh, too so so maybe we need to get uh, bailey applied to for consideration as well bailey and cosmo i might have to personally submit that one <laughs> like start my research on okay cosmo. well good <laughs> well you can do it a fan can do it and the, i mean you need the organization support so what if a fan did it we go back to the organization and say hey you've been your character has been suggested as, <laughs> as an application you know, we want you to help support this. So, you know, so the, the only character that that turned us down for uh, consideration was uh, the Oregon duck. So I throw that out there. They're, they're, they were not interested at all in, in, in being considered. So I said, okay, fine. If you, oh, wow. if you don't want to be considered, then, then we're not going to consider you. So, uh, and that's a shame, you know, you want, I don't think yeah. that organization understands, you know, what we're building here. So, so I'm kind of calling them out publicly, but that's, Hey, they, that's what they said. We contact and they said, Oh no, we don't have any interest. 
Okay, <laughs> fine. Wow, um, we're just going to work on without you then. So we're interested in, in organizations that believe their character are worthy of being inducted to the Mass Hall of Fame to apply. Oh yeah, definitely. And I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really, I really appreciate it. And I just, I just had to try and reach out. I mean, obviously I got the interview, but I just had to reach out because like I said, you, you have the record for most <laughs> shout outs and a lot of people respect you and, and you're just involved in so many different ways. I just wanted to hear all of your stories and your experience. And I just can't thank you enough for, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, do you have any shout outs that you want to give to anyone? And like I said, I'll include links in the show notes, but any shout outs that you want to give to anyone? Well, first of all, I'll start out with you. The only reason why I agreed to be on the show, not that I don't like talking about mascots in general, but you know, you've just done this out of pure passion and love. And as an educator, I just, it was a wonderful thing. So a shout out to you and Maybe I'll encourage you to continue Mascot's Diaries on and not make this your last <laughs> podcast, but I know that you know, you're know you working hard and doing a lot of things. So a big shout out to you and all those people who love Mascot's just because they love them. And, and, and so it's, it's wonderful. And I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, encourage everybody else to do so. Uh, I'm, assu- I'm assuming they'll reside for, you know, for a while on, online to, to hear them. So big shout out to you. And then, and then a shout out to, you know, Tom Burgoyne in the Philadelphia Phillies, who and Tom is the current best friend of the Fanatic and a very good friend of mine. Uh, and, and the Phillies have just been great stewards of, of a character brand that has strength because from the very moment they created it, they believed in it. So, and as a shout out to all those people. So, you know, you know Robert Bodwin and, and Joby Giacalone and Wes Lockhart uh, and, and all those great performers, John Ruth, who, who started along the same time that I did, who broke ground, you know, those guys have been such good friends and they're such great performers and they're inspiration for me. Joe Kempo is another one, you know, they, they were wonderful friends and, and those guys are retired like I am from performing, but they were such great inspirations for me. And, and I probably left about four or five off on the list of, well, John Absey, and we could go on, but jobs, John's still working. Of course, Dan Mears and, and Dan Kilday. Uh, these are all just fabulous people and, and great performers um, who, who've been really an inspiration for me and, and, and good friends. And they've really made this industry better be, because of their work. Yes. Shout out to them and like your family, shout out to your family and everyone who has, has mm-hmm. supported you. I feel like that's a, a big part of you know anything like in being successful is is all that support wherever it may come from and thank you i really appreciate what you said about my podcast and and i don't i don't know maybe i'll take a little bit of a break i'm I'm really busy right now i have a lot of meetings going on at work but i do enjoy this like before we started talking i was like oh man this is like the last one i'm not going to talk to like any more people or mascots or get any stories i I was feeling sad and emotional (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well you're gonna you're gonna miss the fur denise don't worry you're gonna miss the fur you'll be back because once, once you get involved in the fur you're forever part of the fraternity yes. sorry <laughs> uh, and and uh, we will have you back i i guarantee it <laughs> yes i know i I'll, I'll probably just take a little break and then i'll be like hey anyone want to do an interview yeah so I, there's a few more episodes in in mascot diaries yeah i'm sure there are well, well, thank you very much for including me. And this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And have a great day. Hey, you too. Bye now. And that was it for episode 51. I'm done, guys. That's it. Cue end of the road by boys to men. <laughs>
Oh man, don't worry guys. If you miss me, you could just listen to old episodes. I mean, they'll always be there as long as I'm alive and paying or my producer's paying. Because yeah, we share the website for that other podcast. <laughs> and stay subscribed as well on whatever you are subscribed on because you never know when that Cosmo interview may come in or may not come in. I don't know. We'll see. Could be 20 years from now. I mean, I know I say this all the time, but I can't say it enough. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the mascots who gave me an interview. Thank you to anyone who's just supported, liked, followed, just sent me a message. Hashtag mascots make life better. And I was just talking to Jason, who is my very, very first interview. And he's like, but he's like, yeah, like I remember when this was just a concept. Like he was my very first interview and I wasn't sure if I was even gonna put anything out yet. So shout out to those first few because I can't, I mean, you guys suffer through a lot of you been on the show <laughs> i stutter and i edit a lot but those first few were really rough like you don't understand i was so nervous yeah i was thinking about maybe posting old like snaps on my story that i posted on my personal account <laughs> i could be like singing like i hate editing and there's one where like i think i might have been crying in the garage because i lost my nba interview and i was like really sad but then it was all good because then I got the Dan Mears interview like a few days later and I was like, sweet, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a emotional roller coaster, you guys. It's been very time consuming, but thank you. Thank you for sticking with it. And yeah, if you got to the very end, if you listen to all episodes, like, <laughs> please tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more story before I potentially leave you guys forever, but you might want to check next week. I'm just saying. So I was at one of my schools and I saw the mascot. I knew the school had a mascot and I saw it on the posters. So I walked out of one room, went halfway in the doorway of the next room and you just heard this little girl or little boy. I don't know because they were young. So <laughs> they're all they all have that high pitch. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh and then they just started like backing out and the teacher and she's not a teacher i mean you know the the adult with the person with the mascot you know backed him out we're like <laughs> oh my goodness so uh, that little kid was probably traumatized for life and mascots did not make that kid's life better and so i walked over uh just because my student was asked she's like it's a it's a person pretending to be a dog and then i was like well that's your school mascot and i tried to explain a mascot and she was like oh it's a mascot so she was repeating you know and she's trying to understand the concept so we walked over just to you know say hi and the adult knew my student and so when I looked inside the mascot suit, it didn't have a screen. It was open where the mouth, it was a bulldog. I don't know if I mentioned, but so where the mouth was, where the screen would be, it was open. And I looked inside and there was a kid in there. And I was like, oh my goodness, like you have a kid inside the costume. It was, it's hot over here. Like it was really hot this past week. I mean, it could have been hotter, but I mean, what? I was just like so disappointed. <laughs> and wanted to talk to someone <laughs> about taking care of the kids in this heat and like not sticking them in that costume like oh my goodness anyways that was my mascot story for the week as always thank you for listening and take care